1: We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go.
2: What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. It's been uh, been a few days since we recorded. I recorded with Colin talking about the Yankees culture, but Scott, you and I have not recorded for, for about a week. 13-game win streak came to an end, and then they lost the last two in in Oakland, which was certainly disappointing.
1: (laughs) I saw on Twitter, and I can't... Can you you wrap your head around a 13-game win streak and not just the last two games, or no?
2: Well, no, so uh, I'm going to get there. So (laughs) I can't tell. I think I'm aging out of Twitter, which is scary, because I can't tell if people are being sarcastic or serious anymore. I actually saw, like, a tweet. Not go viral, but it had you know decent amount of likes and retweets within Yankees Twitter. It said, "Don't be sad. The thirteen game win streak is over. Just be happy it happened, or something like that." And I'm like, "Is this satire,
1: or is this just people like?" Oh no, that's real. This? That that that's definitely that's yeah, definitely uh, just real.
2: And I'm just like, great. They they, I mean, amazing thirteen game win streak. In 1961. Is, I mean, that's is crazy. Is we need to talk about that. Legit. It's legit. The crazy thing in my mind about this is they didn't even gain gra- ground on Tampa. I know. Like, so you put, your, like, you put yourself securely in the number one wildcard spot, which is amazing. It's, that's better than we thought this was possible four weeks ago. But if you win 13 games, if they go on this run where it's like, what is it, 27 out of like 32 games or something crazy, and you don't freaking gain ground on Tampa, you gain like one or two games...
1: That's nuts. I mean, that's just, that just speaks to how Tampa has been playing as well. They're not, they're not you know, enduring long losing streaks. But when, when I first saw some of this, the this, this stats, again, we have not recorded a little bit. I was on vacation with my family last week and made it difficult to record on Friday uh, for our Friday fives. But the, um, the streaks that they went to 11, and then 11 was the 1985 streak, right? And then 13 was 1961. When you see that those those numbers, like one, it just, it, it kind of baffles my mind the first time I saw it. Like assuming that the 90s team and probably just one, you know, you catch a hot streak at some point with the New York Yankees roster and you win, you know, 11 games. But no, it was 10 games, not 11 games. 1985, pretty crazy. And then the fact that it went all the way back, to 1961 to uh, a 13-game streak is is wild because when you think about a 13-game streak, yes, that's a lot of games, but it doesn't seem like that many games where it wouldn't happen in that long of a period. Well,
2: anytime you talk, so 13-game win streak, you got to get a little lucky and the Yankees got a little lucky in this stretch because the bullpen blew many of the games and they still won those games. So obviously you have to be good, but you also have to be a little lucky and- The 98 team, the 99 team, the 2009 team, these these excellent World Series winning teams were obviously stacked and they were great teams, but maybe they just didn't get lucky. So instead of winning 13 in a row, they won 13 out of 15, but they had a loss after game six or game seven. You know, it's just like that kind of stuff happens. And I think that's in this stretch, the team played excellent, but also the team got lucky. And that's why they won thirteen in a row.
1: Well, I mean, you could say that they got lucky. You could also say that they've been playing a ton of close games this year, and they've been coming out on top for the majority of them. I think last uh, last number I saw is they had forty eight wins in the in a two run in a two run um, ball game, which is the best in baseball. First half of the season, you we were actually towards the top of the league, even in the first half, and it didn't feel like we were. It felt like you know we were still getting stepped on every other day. But when you look back and you see that number you know i i'm i'm one to to also say that like those types of games is a is good for a team especially towards the end of the the season because it builds a little bit of character it builds you know that that tension up throughout the season it creates tension and in, in a regular season that is 162 games that a lot of time lacks tension so they've been playing in these tight moments for a a significant majority of the games, which is pretty crazy. And they've been coming out on top. So yeah, they've been lucky, uh, but they've also been in that position where where they've felt this before too. So it's becoming old hat, which is a very good thing for a team going into a playoff race.
2: Yeah, over the two-week stretch, they won all sorts of games. They won the games that they just blew the other team out. They won some comeback games. They won some back and forth games. They won games where the bullpen melts down. Like the, thir- like the the Thursday game, going back to the first game in Oakland, they blow a six-run lead. Tyon didn't pitch well. It's no. kind of two two not-so-great starts for him in a row. This one against Oakland was especially bad. You get spotted six runs and you can't get out of the fourth inning. Uh, that's, that's bad. But Loizaga comes in, two shutdown innings. Judge gets the go-ahead bloop single in the ninth, and Chapman got the save. That was a game, and also that was the game that uh, that Boone got thrown out early, early early on for for arguing the the strike zone. It was a terrible strike zone. The, the
0: whole
1: the whole series was terrible umpired. <laughs> the we're going to talk about the the
2: play at the the third base umpire adventures, but this one he gets tossed and I did you see the shot of the guys in the dugout smiling yeah. watching him yell at the umpire? Yes,
1: uh they and, that's a good thing. They they could they knew that first of all Boone did it at the right time. For all the criticisms and, and the lack of like, uh, feel for the umpire arguments early in the season, because he was just doing them to do them at one point. It's like, oh, I guess I should be out there at some point and just do this. This was the right time to do this. You got, you catch it early. Your guy, uh, you know, you have a, 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 a lead. And if you don't nip something like that in the bud early, then it just continues, obviously, and frustration will build in your team. So he saw an opportunity to try to, you know, light, light it up, uh, and just, just get their, their back early on. So yeah, I thought it was good timing. And there were quotes from some of the players after the game. Like, yeah, we really
2: appreciate that. That like We liked watching what he did, backing us and stuff. And I'm like, oh, man, are are they actually playing for him? Is this just a product, again, of winning 13 games in a row? When you win 13 games in a row, everything smells like roses, right? Nothing really. Nothing's bad in the middle of a 13-game win streak. So if they were in the middle of a 500 stretch, do they say the same thing? I don't know. But I saw that shot of the guys in the dugout. There was like seven of them just sitting there smiling. And I'm like, oh, okay. Boone might have the
1: backing of these guys now. Not something I thought was possible this year. Well, Again, we're not in the clubhouse. We see with our eyes what we see on TV. We see the way that things are going and the first half there was a very much out of touch Aaron Boone. And a lot of that probably came also compounded by the absolute you know failures on the field as well. And it all looked terrible. So yes, I think part of it is right when you're saying that there's a winning streak and you know you're you're trying to continue this winning streak and Boone's going holistic. during the they're in the middle of a 13 game win streak, there's some there's some uh, you know there's some good play in there as far as like the irony of of like when you're actually getting so mad, uh, but no they do appreciate it I think they always do and I think that they, they would have said that early on in the season if they were if if those moments were chosen at the at the right time as well it's it's a uh, again a feel thing man and from what was the reason, one early in my- the season. It was don't when he came out, it was is. when they, when they didn't challenge it, that was the one that drove me insane yeah. it was when they didn't challenge something. He got called out for not challenging because he took too damn long and then he went crazy. He's like, Oh damn, I screwed up. It was, it was just, it was a joke. The fact that he was out there yelling at people. I was like, shut up, go back in the, go back in the dugout. This is egg on your face. You know it. And he was like basically, uh, throwing a, a temper tantrum at that was point. Was that against Baltimore? That's what it felt like. I don't remember who it was against.
2: Well, there was another one, I think, where he got thrown out in the ninth inning. I think it was against the Red Sox and they were down like seven to one. It's like, like, okay, now you're complaining in the ninth inning down seven to one. How about complain when it's two to, when it's one to one in the third inning or whatever the hell it
1: was. Yeah. So, you know, lessons learned or, you know, just, just him again, using more instinctual, uh, you know, his actions based on what he knows on a baseball field. And again, if that's the case, I applaud it. And I, uh, (laughs) and and i'm here for it he should continue to do that
2: one of the things that stood out to me during the win streak was their execution with runners in scoring position and during the last eight games of the of the win streak they hit 431 25 for 58 with runners in scoring position and if you look at saturday and sunday's games you're kind of like well they didn't hit with runners in scoring position and then they lost like it's not that hard to identify no one's going to hit 431 as a team with runners in scoring position, but I liked the quality at-bats. I like the execution, which was much better overall. And during the stretch, they didn't actually rank first in any category, which I kind of found cool. It's just they were good in everything. They were second in runs, third in hard hit percentage, second in WRC+, fourth in stolen bases, second in grounded into double plays. I guess that's not very good. Second in ERA, third in bullpen ERA. want to talk about that and then fifth in strikeout per nine innings. The bullpen specifically, and Chad Green gave up the, the two-run home run yesterday to, <laughs> to lose the game. Yeah, Britton's out, probably going to need surgery, or who knows what's the deal with him. Chapman's an adventure every time he takes the mound. I guess loiza has been the most consistent bullpen arm, um, but I'm worried about the bullpen. I know the bullpen ERA during the stretch was good, but I just don't feel comfortable in a tight game with any of the guys on the mound. I think any of the guys is kind of a coin flip that they run out there.
1: I mean, you're, but Loaizuka has been probably the the, the most constant. He's and, been the most constant. He's the one I have the most
2: confidence in. And what about
1: Chad Green in non-save I, opportunities or non-close okay, opportunities? Like the guy, he's, he's giving up these one-run. He, yeah, he's giving up one-run uh, one leads with uh, home runs to, by the way, Kemp saw the name on his back and he's like, Kemp, he recognized oh, that really? he did. I was like, I'm wrong team, but but yeah. But <laughs> good job, buddy.
2: So no, but I mean yesterday wasn't a safe situation. He was just trying no. to pitch the eighth inning in a tie game and he yes. gave up the does Gallo does Gallo need to catch that ball on left field? I saw some people getting on
1: him. I mean, you expect him to catch it, I think, but just because he's such a good outfielder, it's a tough play though. Yeah. And then the, the two run home run down
2: the line. But I, I... We have a mailbag question about this a little later, but like in general, this is the thing. As we enter September, the thing I'm most worried about is the bullpen.
1: So, what do you? What are your thoughts though, uh, about the guys that are going to be coming up? We got Kluber starting tonight. Uh, Andrew Heaney, uh, unbelievably, got is getting bumped this. Um, He'll pitch. Crazy. I bet he
2: comes in after. Klu- I bet he pitches after he, Kluber
1: though. Yeah, because Kluber's only probably going to what throw four Six- innings. 65 to 75 pitches which could be two innings or it could, could be, be two innings, innings could be four innings yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, so probably uh, but i still believe that there are guys that are going to be coming up and filling this bullpen there there's going to be other arms that we don't even uh, know they that are going fine. to be available. Severino, who resumed a his throwing or has so been that makes cleared, you feel
2: good. You just said guys that we don't even know are going to be available. You can't even name names, and like you're confident, and that's what they're adding. No, I'm
1: saying at. that guys that are going to be coming up. Yeah, there's some of these guys. I mean, I'm I'm talking about also like the Luis Heels of the world who are going to be coming in and potentially throwing in bullpen situations. And yeah, I, I'm I'm okay with that. I think that I think that this team is um, is setting themselves up for the playoffs. That's what they're trying to do right now.
2: I guess September will be a discovery month of who's going to nut up in that bullpen and, and give them some consistency. And that's how the bullpen's going to shake out for October.
1: I think that's exactly what it is. There's going to be... I mean, the, the fact that they've gotten this first wild card and they've gotten a little bit of cushion is a very good thing for them to be doing exactly that, to find some guys uh, to uh, identify who the roster is going to be going into the playoffs. Because they do have some... You know some tryouts essentially to happen during the regular season. Granted, they need to continue to win every game. They're trying to win the division. They're they're in a uh, uh, in the division race at this point. I almost said pennant race, but I didn't. I corrected myself before I even said it in my mind. Um, but they are they are in that race. So yes, obviously they're going to be throwing out their best. But at the same time, they do have to find. Uh, the guys that are going to be the consistent ones that they, they have the most belief in. So you'll see some young guys come up and you'll see some young guys throw in probably bigger situations than they normally throw in.
2: Chapman before and after June 15th, I guess that was, was June 15th the crackdown? I thought it was earlier
1: than that. Yeah, it was around that time. It was mid-June. I, that's, if I were to guess, I would have said mid-June. So
2: before the crackdown, he was having an unbelievable season. Um, and I, didn't he not allow a run until like late May and then he allowed a few runs, but his, the thing that stands out to me is, the I mean, he was rate. unhittable in the beginning of the year, the walk rate. He had 1.2 walks per nine innings before June 15th. And then since Ju- June 15th, 2.8 walks per nine innings. So he's doubled his walk rate and maybe that's the sticky stuff, which affects command, um, but the, the, it's not like a surprise when Chapman struggles. It's he struggles with his command. Like that's why Chapman struggles.
1: Yes. That's exactly why he struggles. So the fact and that and it's
2: helpless. He's helpless when he can't throw, when he can't locate.
1: It's like, I mean, okay, any pitcher is helpless when it. they can't locate. If you have any pitcher in the major leagues who can't locate, then there's big problems. That's, so I mean, you that's know that, probably. You know
2: that feeling though? It's like you could tell after like four pitches with Chapman. If the fastball is like sailing to the backstop, you're like, oh shit, here we go.
1: Yeah, here we go. He's it's got like, telltale he's, signs. There's no doubt about it. It's like
2: uh, it's like get someone warming up right now. I can tell after four pitches if Chapman's going to have a good ninth inning or not.
1: Yes, that is that is correct. And so do the batters, and that's why they don't swing and they allow him to go through his struggles. That's probably that's the biggest you know mo on him in the dugout. They're like, oh, can't locate the fastball. Don't swing. Don't swing. Look for look for something fat in the middle of the plate. the slider look for the slider in the middle of the plate that that will probably not break as much as a normal slider and don't swing at the fastball because he can't locate and if he's going to put something over the plate it's going to be that slider and and that's when you have an opportunity to pounce on him
2: and another good thing from this stretch is that Giancarlo Stan seemingly got that look back in his eye that he had early in the season when he went on an unbelievable tear since he started playing the outfield which was on June 30th. His stat line is over 300 batting average, over 600 slugging, over 1,000 OPS, and a 180 WRC+. Plus. He's played the outf- He played the outfield two games in a row in Oakland this weekend, which I also appreciated, to get Voight's bat in the lineup. And that's another another thing, is the Voight-Rizzo thing, I think is back to being a conversation because Rizzo's kind of struggled. And he had a bad day in the field, which was kind of weird for for him.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's not picking the balls that you expected him to pick either, but... I mean, it's a conversation that's going to continue, and it's going to be a conversation that's not really. Again, it's, I don't think I, I don't see it as much of a competition as it is him. Um, you know, whoever's playing well on a given day or a matchup—that's more what it is. Rizzo will always be there for defense, and against the uh, the thing with Rizzo is that his splits against righties and lefties, he, the, 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 his splits are good against lefties, which makes it a little bit tricky.
2: Yeah, because you 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 don't just figure oh tough lefty on the mound let's just plug Voight in it's not it's not that simple
1: right but and you know what it does also is again because Stanton's playing in the field two games in a row like you said and I I do appreciate the fact that that man is playing in the field because I that's when he's a better baseball player just all around then yeah then it, it makes it a little bit trickier because later in the game you can't swap one out for a matchup opportunity uh, one of them is most likely DHing but that's a very good thing for the lineup and as a, as a whole so. Um, I don't think it's that big of a deal it really isn't it's more so more so uh for the fans
2: the the will little third base umpire situation on Saturday was one of the more comical sequences I've ever seen happen with umpires in replay you and I have complained about replay for for years we're like I don't get why replay like you zoom in the yesmo will zoom in and it's like okay we know what happened now we saw 45 different camera angles and then replay just goes against it like I What's the point of replay And there's another situation. What's the point of replay where you got the um, uh, Marte still in third base. He's he's out. Replay showed he was out, but the umpire called him safe. And then later in the inning, he almost gets picked off on a uh, on a line drive play and Odor's foot comes off the bag. No question about it. His foot comes off the bag. The umpire calls him out. Maybe the umpire got a bad angle at it and maybe he was just like, well, I know Marte was kind of out from before, so I'm just going to punch him out here. Okay. Human element. thats You kind of got to live with a little bit of human element in umpires. But then it goes to replay where there should be no human element and they uphold the call. I'm like, let's just do away with the whole thing at this point. What is the point? What's the point if they're just
1: going to blatantly get something wrong? It makes absolutely no sense when you go to a replay and you clearly have the ball came... Ball hit the glove. Foot was off the bag. There was no, there was no question about it. And they, I, I don't know what they possibly could could have seen that said, oh yeah, this is indisputable or not indisputable to say that the uh, like you you can. It's like you had to find the angle to say that the foot might be on the bag instead of looking at the angles that clearly showed you that the foot was off the bag. It's like no, we're going to ignore those and look at the other angles. And if I can't see from the from the backside from the left field angle. That the foot is off the bag completely, then I'm going to. Uh, he's going to uh, stay safe, or say it's crazy. Stay out. I don't understand it, um, but yes, there's no argument for keeping replay around when they get those those calls wrong. There's just sometimes, no argument for it.
2: I think sometimes replay upholds things on the field, so umpires don't look as bad
1: as they really are. I'm serious, but that doesn't. They have a rating system as well. Are we? I know they're rating home. Yeah, plate. but the
2: rating system goes on on calls, right? So if if you if you make a call, and then that call gets overturned, that's a Ding. knock on. That's a knock on your. So you think they're paying rating. off
1: the guys in? Uh, in I don't think they're paying
2: off. I mean, they're just the the guys in Manhattan are part of umpire. They're major league umpires. Are they? Yeah, are they? I
1: just, I don't know what. It, Why do you need I an umpire? What else Why do you need the, an umpire looking at it in the, you gotta in know the, the rules. You got to I mean, know the you, rules. They have someone who's talking about the rules, but there's, there's, you know, people zooming in and, and getting to that angle. It's not like the camera operators who are zooming in, probably the kids like, like Dom who, who was working at MLB on the cutting room floor. They're, they're zooming in and getting all the exact angles that you need and, and show you exactly what happened. And then you're, and then you're clearly in front of the room of editors and the room of Of uh, operators replay operators saying no that's wrong the the pictures that you're showing me that's wrong i appreciate i don't believe that
2: i appreciated cortez's cortez jr's reaction to the call when he was just laughing hysterically he's like wait you bozos actually upheld that like what is going on here i'll take it thanks but
1: that's wrong that was his reaction i appreciated that reaction he yes and and uh I mean even you look at the the balk call on him and uh the later in the game when he made a uh that was a balk but when he made a pick up a pickoff attempt to first base his immediate reaction is to turn around and look at the third base umpire <laughs> that shit's hilarious and there was there was just a you know a back and forth the entire time the tension on uh, with those umpires was ridiculous umpire, home, home plate umpire saw it uh, but still yeah get out of the game. this is this is the problem I have with umpires. When you are when we are talking about you and you're in the middle of the game and you're so blatantly involved with these calls, how how one how does replay not fix this? It's supposed to be the you know the um the the fail safe. It's supposed to remove the umpires from the game as far as like the 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 outcome because of the replay. It's literally the job of the replay. And now we're talking about replay, I mean it's. this is not the first time this has happened either. But we're talking we talk about, about replay it all. We've being talked about it consistently since this podcast wrong. Yeah. I don't yeah. get it. I, I
2: don't, all I don't it does it. is waste time at that point. If you're going to get replay wrong, then all it's doing is wasting time. Yeah, but let's put a guy Quick. out
1: on second base extra innings.
2: Quickly on the first base situation, I mentioned the numbers. So since Rizzo returned from COVID, he has 31 plate appearances. He only has four hits, which is a 148 batting average, and he's slugging only 185. And then Voight, since he came back from the IL in 55 plate appearances, is hitting 309 with a 387 OBP and a 636 slugging. So um, it's, I mean, it's clear who's playing better right now. Obviously Rizzo can turn things around, but do they, are they at the point where you just got to play the
1: hot hand at first base? Yeah. Again, I I think that hot hand is going to also be determined by matchups though, as well. So, uh, I think they have kind of a plan on what, what's, what's happening out there. And again, there's so many opportunities where they're going to be playing where they could DH as well. So it doesn't become that big of a situation, especially if Stanton's in the field.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform
2: Some roster news. We already mentioned Britain going on the IL. Boone said surgery is possible. Uh, I guess he's still being evaluated. They uh, they got Gio back, who looked certainly rusty in this series. We're basically at the September 1st roster expansion, and Velazquez and Wade are, are still both on the roster right now. I thought that it was going to be one of those guys had to come off the roster when Gio returned. It, but I think at this point, they're going to just keep both on. But it seems like Velazquez is the starting shortstop right now. Wade is the backup.
1: Well, Wade's been playing other other positions as well. Wade's been playing a lot, and he's still hitting. He's still hitting, still hitting yesterday. Uh, but Glaber's in Somerset right now. Glaber's in Somerset coming back. Uh, you know, on a he was at a rehab stint yesterday or Saturday. Saturday Sunday was the first day actually. So he's on his way back. Yes, but rosters expand, and uh, we're gonna we're gonna see what happens there. But again, I think. That those two are still competing for one spot ultimately. Wade's got more. Wade's got more flexibility. If the yeah. the Velasquez defensive flexibility, the defense that's fine. But but the local, uh, the the fact that he was hitting like, we 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 knew this right. Like it's going to wear off at some point. And when that wears off, you see the player that he that he is. Not to say that he's not a. a, a a good player, but he's not an everyday player. He's a of he's not. a neither is Wade. A, a utility guy that has been around the block a little bit and starting to you know try to find his his footing in a spot. But they're pe- competing for the the same spot. He's uh, a very good stolen base guy. He can run the bags. He can play defense, but he run doesn't give bags. as much flexibility uh, as Wade in the field. I need to correct something
2: that I've been saying for some time. I'm surprised no one corrected me. So, you know where I got where I saw this information or wh- who told me this information, Neil Keefe. So, the if the Yankees and the Rays finish the season with the same record, they have to play a one game division playoff game. It's not t- it's not head to head to so decide So you're saying if they're the
1: down division. 3 and have 3, they would have to win all of them for them to win the the matchup no,
2: for them to get into the playoff game for a right. division.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Now, I understand this if the loser of that division would not make the playoffs, right? There's right. some divisions you're not going to be a wild card team. You're winning, winning the division or you're out. You're going home. Yeah. So, yeah, obviously. But in this situation where whoever doesn't win the American League East is most likely going to get the number one wild card spot, it's almost not worth it. To play that division game because you're essentially playing two wild card games. One of them, you have a fail safe. If you lose, you still play the actual wild card game. But what's really the incentive? I don't know if there's enough incentive for the risk, if you're the Yankees, to throw Garrett Cole against the Rays in game 163 and then not have him available for the wild
1: card game, which is actually a do or die. So, we were talking about this before we started recording and we said, let's save this because I, I see this a little differently in the way that each one of these So let's just say, let's just for conversation's sake, we're going to go down the route of uh, the simple math as you've, been, as you've been putting it out there. Down three, got to win all three. They win all three, Yankees win all three and uh, now we're deadlocked. There's no tiebreaker any longer. Deadlocked, which means they have to play another game to break that tie and whoever wins huh? that tiebreaker... Go uh, wins the division, and whoever yeah. loses the tiebreaker goes to the one-game uh, play-in game, essentially the wild card play-in game. So, in in theory, you would have two one-game elimination uh, scenarios, right? One of them is not really elimination, but one, yeah. So, but you 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 lose the uh, and you go to the the other wild card. Okay, I would argue <clears throat> you're saying that it's not worth it. Like whatever you pl- you play, who you play. And then if you win, great against the Rays. If you lose, then it doesn't matter because you're playing in another uh wild card game to, to play in, which you would be hosting as well. So there's that scenario. The I, I'm of the oak of saying, like, I would rather not have to play in that last game, in that last Obviously. wild card game. Right. But I'm gonna take my best shot to win the division. You're you're not it's not just to stay, to stay alive, it's to win the division, have home field in the division, uh, or in the next in the next playoff series. So why wouldn't you go after that that play-in game? I'm sorry, the tiebreaker game. Because the exact same scenario, like you're saying, if you're if you're if you're essentially punting or just seeing if you win that tiebreaker game, you'd be doing the same thing for the next one. So why not go after the the better scenario, which is winning a division, hosting a, a playoff series, and not having to play in that wildcard game?
2: Because I think the ramifications from playing one and possibly two one-game playoffs is not worth the reward of just getting home field in the ALDS. It's not. But they You'll, would have... The benefits of, of getting home field in the ALDS and ALCS are not worth having to play minimum one, maximum two playoff games, burning your ace and your bullpen. To be clear here, not I having make, days I want to make off. sure we're
1: saying the same thing. Are you saying not to throw Cole in games, in the last game of the season to get the tiebreaker? Or are you saying... If they if they if they break if they are tied to not throw Cole in the tiebreaker, both I would not throw him in either game. But you save okay, him the, for the wild. Card I understand game. why you would not. I understand. But I understand why you would not throw him in the third game. I get that part. Okay, you 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 let the chips. So fall if you're where not going to throw
2: him in the third game, then why are you going to throw him in the fourth game?
1: Because it's the same thing as a wild card game. You but you it's have a better outcome. It's not the same thing. You have it's a better outcome. It's not
2: the same. Th- you have a better but outcome. You have a, but you in, host the game. The the if you the if you lose that game and you go to the wild is, card, the line. punishment is so much worse in the wild card game. Your season ends. Your season does not end if you lose that one game playoff game.
1: It's but not the, do or die. I understand that, but the scenario you're 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 not putting your best foot forward to win that game for the best scenario, which is win the division, get the home get the home field, and host that game. You, then you're Cole saying
2: still can't pitch in the in the first game. He's still he's still
1: not pitching until game three. Of the DS. Possibly game two, so, possibly game two, depending on the off days. Uh,
2: no, not game two. He would be on short rest, and then so he's still only if you pitch him in the one game playoff against the Rays, and you win that game, he's available only one time in the American League Division Series. If you don't pitch him, and then you pitch him in the wild card game, he's available only one time in the American League Division Series. Okay, so no matter what scenario, if you throw Cole in uh, the wild card or the division tiebreaker game, he's available one time. And then maybe out of the bullpen in Game Five of the DS. So why not see if you win the game with Tyon because, Montgomery, because, and then you get Cole twice in the division series. the The risk reward
1: is not oh, so. Worth you're it. saying if they win, if they win the tiebreaker game and not throw Cole, they get Cole two times,
2: twice, T- two times in the DS. They only get him one time if you throw Cole in either the wild card or the DS. It's basically a punishment. You're essentially playing a wild card game. Of course it for is. For winning yes. the division.
1: Yes. It's not fucking worth it. Well, okay. So the scenario that you just mentioned that you get Cole twice for the division is not one I was thinking about in the beginning of my argument here. That that I, I see as something that you can, you want to, uh, to, to strive for. But at the same time, you're not putting your best foot forward to win an elimination game or a quasi elimination game. And you would have to do it. You'd have to do that anyway if you got to the wild card and lost that game. So now you're pushing him back to game four, right? Game game four. But and we might, have
2: no clue what his actual rotation will line up as. Like we're just assuming it. It's it would still line very up.
1: risky to to not win that first game. It's still very risky to not win that because now you're putting a you're put in an elimination game.
0: Whereas yeah, if you come out that. there with
1: your best guy against the against the the Rays and you win that game, now you. You control your destiny a hell of a lot more because you have a home series uh, that you you have a home uh, advantage in that series, and you're waiting for the winner of a of a wild card who has to also now burn their bullpen. Get you know who knows what happens in that series. Tampa's scenario.
2: bullpen does not burn. There's no burning. You know Tampa's what I mean. Bullpen. It doesn't
1: matter. Like there are other games that they have to play. Before they get to you, which is a right, better scenario is, for the Yankees?
2: But the Yankees would be playing basically playoff games against look, the Rays. I, I see for, both sides of five straight days. Listen, I see trying on, to set second. it up,
1: but you're getting cute. You're getting cute, trying to look into the future and set up a guy for two times in a playoff spot when you have an opportunity. It, that's to just win.
2: one of the benefits. One of the benefits is you get him twice in. the To me, PS. that's the only benefit. Uh, no, you don't burn your bullpen, and you don't play every day leading into a playoff series. So you would play basically playoff games Friday, Saturday, Sunday against Tampa because you're trying to beat them to, to tie them, right? Then you have to play a playoff game Monday for the division. Then you have to play a playoff game Tuesday for the wild card if you lose. Or Wednesday, I forget what day it is in the American I know, American
1: but League. we're also just saying that they are, in this scenario, that they are tying them and playing in this game. So, well, right, they, what if they're if
2: ahead? If they're ahead, you obviously try and win. But if you're if you're down three... Going into la- the last weekend of the season, I say you you try and win, but you don't do everything
1: in your power to win. That that's fine. I understand not throwing coal in that series. I do understand that, because you ha- you're going to be in some kind of a playoff scenario, some kind of a, a elimination game, and you you want your guy in that game. But but, but that. That wasn't part of the assumption here. The part of the assumption is that you're tied and you have these two elimination games potentially.
2: Right. We don't know how they're going to get to the tie situation. A lot of that also. And a lot happens. of
1: that is bullpen. is going to be burnt. It's going to be burnt through the series because you're going to have to go through a lot of guys. Right, theoretically. so you need off days. You're going to you be also, dates. if you're not throwing Cole in that first game, in theory, you're going to burn your bullpen in that game. And then now you have a wild card game, which you throw Cole, you know, hopefully he pitches well, but if he doesn't, you're burning that guy and, Let's say you are burning the bullpen again. Let's say you come out of that game, and now you're walking into a series away, not home field advantage, and your bullpen is torched. You don't have coal until game four or five, or if you want to do it on short rest, it's a it's a bad scenario if you if you bleed into that uh, into the into the playoff series as well. And, and because I think, and that's why Yankees... I think you should try to take as much under your control as possible, and that would be throwing coal in the uh, tiebreaker game to get over, get over the hump and get into the series. Be done the with
2: it. American League East would be the number one seed in the American League. So you're basically, yeah. you're at, it's like you're creating a disadvantage. The Rays and the Yankees would both be, as, be at a disadvantage for getting that if they ended up tied because they both have to play at least one game. And then you play the winner of the wild card,
1: which <laughs> which could just be the Yankees again or the Rays, right? Yes, that's correct. But like you, like you mentioned, it would probably hurt the Yankees more if they were to throw a call than it would Tampa because of Tampa's depth.
2: The difference in the division really is the Yankees and the Rays' records against Baltimore. The Yankees are 8-5 and five this year against Baltimore, and the Rays actually did what you said the Yankees would do. Re- they won if they only had listened
1: one. to what I freaking said for them to do and just beat Baltimore, we would not be in this scenario. It's, yeah, um,
2: the Rays are 17 and one against Baltimore they went 17 and one this year mopped the floor with them
1: yeah you know, another thing I was looking at too is we're you know we're, we've uh we saw Chad Green blow another game and I think his record on the season is seven and six now that's six losses six losses at Chad Green's hand essentially how many games yeah, are we no, back you- from the first place uh Tampa Rays six games six games so
2: you're just putting this squarely on Chad Greens It's shoulders. all on Chad Green's it's all his fault. <laughs> Um, a couple of random things I saw this week. So, I guess on Michael K's show, on his radio show, he said that Aaron Boone does not go to bed until he's seen at least one episode of Friends
1: per day. That's weird. Friends is not the show. show yeah, friends to be addicted to <laughs> It that's it's such a it's really a bad show. I mean, there's there's a there's a line in the sand there always has been with the 90 sitcom of of Friends and Seinfeld. And I judge every single person that says Friends well, I just, I mean, Friends is what it is.
2: Like, I understand you you like the characters and there's a story there, but it's not a rewatchable television sitcom. Like, you throw Seinfeld on, it still plays today. Friends does not play today. You can't just throw in a random episode of Friends. It's, it's not funny. It's just not good. It's just not good. <laughs> it's just a bad show. It's not a bad and, show. And I, maybe the biggest thing I saw all weekend... Justin Verlander is a gas glove guy. He tweeted yeah. out a picture of himself pumping gas, and he's got a glove on his left hand. Looks like a
1: gardening glove. No, it does not. Of some kind. No. What does it look like? He is it a golf glove? He clearly just finished a round of golf. Okay, he's got a golf glove on. He clearly just finished a round of golf. Uh-huh. Has the golf glove still on? I've done that uh-huh. many times. You put your bag away, You put your and you're like, oh, I got the glove still on, and just left it on. I don't think he's a gas glove guy. I think he just was... Keeping the the glove on uh, after he played, I'd like to. Believe I need he's to see him pumping gas outside of the golf, uh, the golf outfit. So we know clearly that he's not playing golf because that's a, that's a golf, that's a golf, that's a, I, clearly I, a golf glove. I
2: I need I need to see I need, I I need to believe he's a gas glove. I can, I never hated Justin Verlander even though he just shoved it to the Yankees in 2017, but now I'm firmly on Justin Verlander's side if
1: he's a gas glove guy. He lived next to me uh, in college. Yeah. Big uh big beer bong guy. Two-story. <laughs> they had a they had a two-story beer bong at their house. It was impressive. You could feel it. Beer six bong.
2: Pack. I thought you said beer pong. No beer, beer bong, bong. Beer
1: bong. So like they'd funnel it down from upstairs. And yeah, it, would, like, go to- it was a baseball house. They had a um they had a big back deck and they had this they had this two-story beer bong with a valve at the bottom. And it was a it was a it was a monster so you go you go to the top and you could fit a six pack into the beer bung. and when you're at the bottom oh. and you undo the valve that thing shoots down you it's like a Gra- gravity takes gravity takes form and just shoots down it it like skips your throat goes directly <sighs> into your stomach and then and then once it hits your stomach the foam just starts filling <laughs> up and filling up and filling up and many people would just like top out and just like uh, uh, spout uh. the beer and the foam. Um, so if you could hold that one in, that was a, a, a true, a true sign or a true testament to, to your drinking ability. So I hit that thing a couple times, and it was a it was a doozy. It definitely knocked you. It make that immediately you feel like complete dog shit, complete dog we, shit. And then five minutes later, you're hammered.
2: <laughs> we were not in college. We were never beer funnel, beer bong. Uh, it was always shotgunning. Shotgunning beers was the big yeah, thing. Yeah, we did all of the above. Where you punch the hole in the side of the... Can- and it's like, I don't know how no one just sliced their fingers or their face off. Shotgunning beers. It never happened. And I was thinking, like, we just got sharp aluminum cans all over the place, and no one is slicing lips off.
1: I've definitely, seen, I've definitely seen someone cut themselves when the key goes in a little deep and the finger catches an edge. But the... Yeah. Um, yeah, we, we would do all of the above. I actually, at one point, because of a bet it wasn't really the bet. I wanted to win the bet. I <laughs> I, like, I bet myself. I, well, no, this was a bet, but I beer bonged milk. And the reason That's I did that was because appalling the bet was the bet was that I couldn't, you know, the whole, you can't drink a gallon of milk in an hour. Yeah. I was like, wrong. I can drink a gallon of milk in an hour. And I did drink the gallon of milk in an hour. Stupidly in the beginning, I was like, I need to be thirsty. So I had like little Snickers bars lined up so that I would be, so that I would want, that was a really dumb move. Don't do that if you're trying this bet. But at the end of it, it was coming down to, it was coming down to like minutes, the very end, there was a clock. And the the bet was that I had to keep it down, not throw up until after the clock hit 60. And then then anything, an hour, it was an hour. Yeah. So that's the bet. You have an hour, I drink a gallon of milk. And uh, at the end, it was like, I was so full. I had to, Literally put it in a beer bong, and I bonged the milk. <laughs> I bonged the end of the milk. I got it down. Clock goes sixty. I start puking out of every. It was bad. Well, the whole milk? No, it was. Um, it was not whole milk. I can't drink any whole milk. I think it was probably skim or one percent. But yeah, it was a lot of milk. But it can be that's done. Gross. That's that's. Really that was gross. me in college. Beer bonging, it, milk bonging, shotgunning. That was milk, me. like as far as
2: beverages go, that you're gonna beer bong. I'm not talking about like actual disgusting things, like actual things that people drink. Milk's got to be the worst one that you could possibly beer bong.
1: Anything with carbonation to me is, I mean, you, beer, yes, but like the the carbonation. If you
2: do like Mountain Dew or something, you're you're probably gonna your, your you you might explode. explode, but <laughs> but like just from like a sitting in your stomach, like milk that's that's gonna it's gonna be a cesspool in
1: there. yeah it felt like it was curdling like you couldn't even, you don't even like for that bet you're not even trying to take a leak to clear room you got to do other things
2: <laughs> we got a couple mailbag questions we'll wrap up here so seth thatcher on twitter at seth underscore thatcher 81 says what would love for you guys to talk about your dream playoff lineups and bullpen setup with guys coming back healthy there are a lot of possibilities what's the starting lineup who's coming off the bench and what is the bullpen setup? We kind of touched on the bullpen setup as being like, I don't know, who whoever is the guy who's not scaring the crap out of you in September is guys who get the the role in the playoffs. I think it's still Chapman's closer job, but if he has a up and down or a rough September, I don't know how you anoint him the closer entering the playoffs. Like, Loaizga, again, has been the most steady guy all season. He's had a couple of bad outings, but for the most part, he's been
1: the most steady. Chapman's going to be the guy, but yes, he's going to have a shorter hook for sure. And it depends when Loisic is used because he's very well going to be used in the eighth inning and then you don't have a guy like that. So um, not having Britain, I think, really does affect the way that that pecking order will will be used in, in the playoff scenario, understanding that Chapman might not be the end-all in the ninth. So that will be interesting how he does it. I, I think the, the next thing that we're looking at for you know the remainder – of September is Luis Severino has uh, been cleared to resume throwing again. What is he? Is he coming back? Probably not going to be a starting pitcher. I would think. No,
2: he's not going to be a starter. So he's, we're looking he's at going to be ramped up.
1: But so are they going to then just say, okay, you're not, we're not even going to ramp you up to um, three, four innings. We're just going to keep you at one to two. And now he can just be a guy that comes out and, and is a back of the bullpen arm because that's a scenario that could definitely play out, um, and you know he's been in that role in the past. He came up in that role and was nasty in that role. Uh, John and Susan never wanted him to re- be removed from that role in the beginning. I remember consistent complaining about that. But that's a real scenario which definitely changes the dynamics of the bullpen. I think having a guy like that out of there, and then you have a guy like Luis Heel, who reminds me of a, a young Severino, but a guy that that has proved to be very good. In the rotation, is he going to get a rotation spot? It depends on what happens with Kluber. Tonight's his first night out. Um, depends on how he comes back and, and how he gets back into this. He's going to be brought along slowly in hopes that he can be a fully stretched out guy that they can use in the playoffs. So that's that's how they're going to use him. So,
2: Well, Craig Weller at C Weller on Twitter asks an important question about Luis Heal. said, I would love to hear about your preferred rotation for September and October. Should Heal get a shot? Does he have an innings limit to worry about? And I was looking up his career innings and in 2015, 23 innings, 2017, 41 innings. So he didn't pitch in 2016, 2018, 46 innings, 2019, 96 innings, 2021, he didn't pitch in 20, 72 innings. So 96 innings in 2019 is his previous high. So So I would, yeah, I would say we're good because I don't know what his innings limit is add 25 innings from 96 yeah. right like whatever the they have their their to ramp up from right so but playoffs do account into that like in their in their formulas sure those are still innings thrown so if he goes and pitches another four starts in september and then he's at whatever he's at 96 innings they're going to they're going to factor that in wherever they stand at the end of the season but i think we're not really touching an innings limit uh, at this point,
1: point. and like you said, it's kind of in the progression uh, wheelhouse of of where he would be anyway. Even if even with if you count the playoffs and getting another four starts, which he will not get, but the I, a lot of this relies on Kluber. We have to see what Kluber is. Um, you know, the the rotation from there: Montgomery, uh, Cole, Montgomery, Tyone, and if, if Kluber's available, takes a lot of the guesswork out of of what they're going to do.
2: And we haven't really heard much of an update on Herman.
1: Herman, yep, that's another one to keep an eye on, though. Like see how progression has come. And d- depending on what he's going to be, I could see him being used as kind of a swing guy as well. Stretch him out, but he could come in at different spots. Uh Clark Schmidt's another guy to keep an eye on. Um there, there's a number, you know, Davy Garcia later in the season, all he's had a terrible year, but who knows what he could be. There's there's arms down there that that could be that could be useful. So
2: quickly on Seth's question, he says what about your dream playoff lineup? I don't I don't know what my dream playoff lineup is. I just know that every night, every game they play in the playoffs, the startering outfield
1: needs to be Judge, Gallo, and Stan. And if it is that, you have Luke Voigt batting uh, a DH, or if there's terrible numbers, you could flex somebody else into that spot and put a defensive guy out at shortstop, put Glaber in to, to DH as well. Hopefully Glaber's able to come back and, and swing the bat well um, here, and uh, we have all of these options, but... I mean, in a you perfect. You agree with me, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. We've seen.
2: I think we've seen enough of Stanton in the outfield that he can do it. He's he's healthy, knocking on wood, and he's freaking mashing. He's that better. Outfield, he's better. Yes. That outfield is the best for this team. Okay, Gardner is there as the fourth outfielder. He will be in every seventh inning that's a close game in order to ensure defense. Hell of a catch he made running. yesterday,
1: too. By the way, yeah.
2: hell of a catch. And and fine, but the starting outfield needs to be those three
1: guys. It needs to be. Yes, I agree with that. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Right. Brian M. Hey, he said, you know, everyone, you know, it won't be though, right? Every single. I know one. it
2: won't be, and it's going to infuriate me. He says, Brian says, everyone is making a pretty big deal out of Cole reaching 200 strikeouts. Is it really that huge, considering the strikeout rates across the league? Cole reached 200 strikeouts this season in 148 innings, so 12.2 strikeouts per nine. That leads the league. He's also leading the league in FIP. Like, I I mean, he had an unbelievable start to the season, and then he had uh, kind of a rough patch after the sticky stuff. And then he had one terrible start against Boston, and I feel like he went on covid list, and he's been pretty good since he came back. He's a Cy Young contender, but don't you feel like just from watching it, this has been a so-so season for Cole? Like, don't you
1: think Cole would say this is a so-so season? I think it really depends on how he finishes the year or two in this last month. If he finishes on fire, then then I think he's going to be right there. It's what him and Lance Lynn are probably the two. Um, the fact that I think Robbie Ray is even in a conversation, I've seen him on some graphics, is just wild. But uh him and and Lance Lynn are are definitely the the two guys. But I mean, he may he very he very well might get it. He very well might get it. I think if he's especially if he finishes strong and the Yankees either win the division or lock up that wild card, I, I could see him getting it.
2: His April and May was just on another level. He had like a seventy-five to three strikeout to walk ratio yeah. at one point. It was silly. Uh, Cole's quote on reaching two hundred strikeouts: "It's not a goal. It's just my job." <laughs> it's
1: great. I mean, that's back back to the answers that I love. Back to the uh, you know, let's just do my job. Let's just do the things that yeah. th- that's. It's like it reminds me of the Steve uh, Smith quote. The when he was the receiver with Carolina, he's like, "I just do my job, go home, and kiss my wife." Like, that that's perfect. I love it. The last Yankee starter with 200 strikeouts was Severino
2: in 2018. He had 220 and 191 innings. I don't know to Brian's question: Is it
1: that huge? The innings, the, the, the inning gap, right? No, there. The innings are huge. Yeah. No, but no, he's right. There's inflation on these stats. Like there are yeah, with all statistical categories. This is an inflated st- uh, stat category because there's so many guys striking out right now. So yeah, it doesn't mean as much, but it's something you know that we've we've looked at in the past and can't dismiss it. Right. All right. The last question, Mark Schaefer. If Torres returns to shortstop after September 1st, should
2: Boone replace him for defense late in games with a lead? My answer is unequivocally yes. The answer is yes. That's where we are, for sure. Like, Why wouldn't you? Yeah. Velazquez or Wade, whoever it is, they play shortstop in the late innings because Glaver Torres is not as good as them. Correct. There's no <laughs> doubt. End of story. Okay. That's going to wrap it up for this episode. Scott and I will be definitely back at you with at least one more episode this week. Maybe we'll do a midweek episode. We'll see how things go. Still playing West Coast baseball so
1: We'll talk to you guys Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.
2: I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.